Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Not D&D this week. Uh, you know, D&D is brought to you by EN Live, part of EN World, which is the leading tabletop news and review site. I'm the host, Jessica, but much more excitingly with me, I have two guests again this week. Uh, I have Sam and Zach from Soul Muppet Publishing. Hello. Here to talk about their game, Orbital Blues. Sam, for people that don't know you for some reason, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell us what you do? Uh, so my name is Sam Sleeney. Um, I I wrote Orbital Blues with with Zach. Uh, I pitched it him in a pub a couple of years ago. Uh, Good place and for a pitch. Said, "Hey, I want to make a game about sad space cowboys," and he was like, "I'm in." Uh, <laughs> I used to work full time in RPGs, but I got hella burnt out and bailed. Um, I dabble now as freelancer frequently working with Zach. Before that, I was the creative director of First Fall and Leaf Publishing, which do slash did uh, like more trad style RPGs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's me in terms of who I am in relation to role-playing games. Excellent. I'll dig in and ask you more questions in a bit about your background with RPGs Absolutely. for sure. But before we get into that, Zach, could you tell us uh, who you are? Hey, uh, my name's Zach. I run Soul Publishing, which is an indie RPG company company that focuses on creating both our stuff in-house and also uh, bringing to people games around the world and helping stuff see print that might not see print otherwise. Uh, I've written a couple of games, obviously co-wrote Sam, and my other game is called Best of Buried, which is a fantasy horror game. But I also do a lot of work as a project manager and publisher of other games like a producer is sort of my job title for a lot of stuff i've done a lot of work with rowan rook and deckard uh, and so when you had kieran grant on the podcast last month to talk about die uh, i was involved mm-hmm. quite a lot in that project as well so my thing is working with really creative people like sam and helping books appear in the world that sounds He's brilliant. very good at it if you've got an idea get in touch Sounds like a good pitch for that there. Um, if oh, you do maybe have any... maybe he's too busy. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, let's uh, let us back speak themselves later. Um, so uh, as you can see on the banner in the chat now, if you have any questions, please do pop them in the chat, and we will answer them through the next hour. Uh, this is going to be kind of an informal uh, kind of chat, so feel free to ask any questions and jump in throughout the stream. Um, so. Sam, you briefly mentioned uh, a little bit about your background with with RPGs, um, but Mm -hmm. can we dig into that a little bit more now? I was going to ask you, what was the first RPG you played or your first introduction to role-playing games? Uh, So I was one of those kids who picked up sticks uh, with other kids and we hit each other with them. So we were like LARPing from the Uh, (laughs) get-go. It was very imaginative. Uh, When I was in secondary school, I got turned on to my local game store Mm -hmm. uh, by a friend who wanted to just go check it out and see what it was all about. Uh, I went along with him and got roped into a a role-playing game group, uh, and it molded my young child brain, turned it into paste, (laughs) uh, and I couldn't stop playing or thinking about RPGs uh, since then. Um, I've always been really creative. I used to do this really creepy thing as a child where I would like whisper stories to myself, like some kind of possessed <laughs> demon. Um, they gave me an outlet for, for that. Uh, and I'm not very good at sticking to prose uh, mm-hmm. per se. I studied literature at university and went on to do a master's in creative writing all the whilst finding excuses to explain rpgs and role-playing like the role-playing game experience to my uh lecturers professors etc uh it they they must have got sick of me i'm sure they were just like (laughs) really talk, talk about real books um um, it was really funny because after i graduated i went back to see one of my my professors and slapped a big role-playing game book uh on the desk and i was like i've sent that all over the world and published it and you can go buy it in shops and she was like oh i haven't published a book and i was like well i have um (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah, it became real then. Uh, the first mm -hmm. RPG I ever played was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplaying 2nd Edition. Uh, I've oh. been a massive fan of Warhammer since I was too young. Um, so getting into that, when I first appeared at the local game store, they were like, hey, do you want to play a role-playing game? Do you want to play it in a world that you recognize, or do you want us to make something up? We've got this, this, and this. One of the things is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, so I was just like, yeah, that. Um, and played that. Really enjoyed how janky and just random and fun it was. After that, went on to Exalted 2nd Edition, which was much more like mechanically dense and chunky, mm -hmm. very combat-heavy, although the dude who ran it was very uh, very rules light with it so it was like high fantasy high power low rules and that sort of got me into a very narrow like as much as those are quite mechanically dense trad games i was very yeah. fortunate that the dm that i had was very rules light adopting and adapting stuff on the fly just to keep the story going and that's what got me into essentially story games that prioritize narrative mm -hmm. over rules uh and yeah that since then i've just gone from various things to another i think i've been running games now for about 15 years which is almost half my life i'm 27 uh so yeah been been out a while uh, churned out a couple of books on the way. They're they're all right. They're all right. I've got an award, so <laughs> that's I your think, review. I they're all right. They're, they're they're good. Um, and yeah, that's that's me at the minute. I am playing a game. Uh, it's just a fantasy RPG that mm -hmm. runs on Black Hack. Uh, and yeah, that's that's what I'm up to at the minute. Um, so fair to yeah. say you quite like RPGs then. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on one hand, you could say it changed my life. On the other hand, ruined my life. On the other, you know, sort of yeah, I, I think the everyone, course irrevocably. Uh, <laughs> everyone that works in RPGs kind of says that uh, for sure. Um, Zach, what about you? What's your kind of history with RPGs? Do you remember what your first uh, experience in gaming was? Yeah, um, like... My story is actually really similar to Sam's. I also okay. got started playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplaying 2nd Edition. Mm -hmm. I would say I didn't play that game at all. I think I read the book and was trying to play it with my brother at the age of like 9 or 10. And it's quite oh, well. complicated. And no yeah. one had ever explained to me what a roleplaying game was. So it was a mixture of like using the games to run weird skirmish, skirmish combats and mm -hmm. trying to run a campaign in a 45-minute lunch break at school in the school board gaming club, where I was trying cool. to convince my uh, all my friends that played Warhammer 40K to play a Dark mm -hmm. Heresy game for us, which is a game, again, it's another Warhammer-licensed RPG with a similar engine. Uh, I then fell out of it for about five, ten years and kind of didn't get back into it after that being at that quite young age and not really doing it properly, and then had a brief run-in that was maybe like, a year to 18 months with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I was playing 5th edition at the time, and then fell into what I make currently mostly through games of what people call the old school uh, uh, tradition, which is I was playing a lot of stuff like Black Hack, a lot of stuff like Knave, Maze Rats was my favourite, and then I wrote my first role-playing game not long after that, which is Best Death Buried, which is kind of belonging in that old school tradition, but also borrowing a lot of uh, mechanics and rituals basically from more narrative-based stormy game story games so about combining two types of indie role-playing you see a lot which are these story games and these old school games and that's where the tradition of stuff like Orbital Blues and Best Left Buried comes from where they're kind of trying to take a the resolution mechanics of an old school game and then tying them to the rich role-playing campaign mechanics that you will find in a story game, which is about taking a um, something that's very short and snappy and rules-light and then adding some structure on top of it to kind of weave an elaborate uh, campaign system where your characters grow and progress over time. But yeah, that's, that's so yeah, a similar Wolfrook, then some story games, and then into what we did now. Okay. Looks like Jess has vanished from the stream. Are you seeing that as well, Sam? <laughs> we don't have a host anymore. We're, we're the hosts now. Okay. Oh, 
if we should pop ourselves on the where, where she's gone. Um, yeah, it's just yes, us on the street. Yes, we're in charge of EN World now. <laughs> this is how the takeover starts. Um, yeah. Do we ask each other questions? What do you What do you love about Wolfrup or Warhammer Fantasy role playing, Zach? I think my favourite thing about Warhammer Fantasy role playing is, in fact, uh, the career system, which would be the uh, when you start the game, you roll a d100 uh, based on the class that you're in, and then it just gives you a uh, a profession that you are within Warhammer's old world, which is called a weird Germanic fantasy realm. Uh, and instead of playing in D&D, for example, you would be a fighter or a wizard or a cleric. Your jobs are stuff like tollkeeper or woodsman or tax collector. Or they're, they're all very high like and mighty stations you've got there, Zach. You're much more likely to roll, <laughs> I don't know, a grave robber or a, a trash picker or yeah. a bloke which who is... hangs around on roads asking for change. Yeah, which is just such a different expectation of fantasy than what you would get if you were those sort of like more high fantasy careers. And it, yeah. in, it creates a much more um, rustic and not very many teeth feeling to your role playing game sessions. And you definitely don't play as a character who has very many teeth. You're right, Jess. We yeah, I am back. You Thank you very much for filling the air. My internet died, which is the first time this has happened doing this show ever, uh, which is great. So thank you very much for uh, filling the time there. Um, but yeah, so we were talking. You were talking a little bit about about um, when you were starting, you know, getting into working on Best Left Buried as well before before you cut out and then talked about Warhammer Fantasy excellently, um, but. Um, I wanted to talk about that game because that is kind of the system that's based on Orbital Blues, uh, if, this, if I'm correct, uh, that we're here to talk about today. Um, so, uh, Zach, if you could give us an elevator pitch on what Orbital Blues is, how would you pitch it to people? So, Orbital Blues is a game about sad space cowboys. Uh, you play itinerant, um, self-employed people who all live on a spaceship together. You are the crew of a firefly or cowboy bebop or sort of like star wars guardians of the galaxy-esque ship you fly around the galaxy trying to make ends meet doing whatever work you have to do you often end up turning to crime and um just trying to do what you can to pay the bills and make sure you can afford your uh, bell peppers and beef and uh, keep the the spaceship running basically it's a game that is infused with lots of americana it's a western it's not really a science fiction game as we see it it's a lot more um you know a, a more of a western that just happens to be set in space in the far future you're much more and, likely to get into a gunfight with someone wearing a stetson than you are a robot sounds yeah, amazing absolutely <laughs> and an important part of the game is that because of the horrible situation that you are in in trying to make these end meets in this big sad bluesy space is that your characters uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, you might get um, experience and level up by being, by like fighting monsters or getting money. In Orbital Blues, you get experience for being sad. And every character. Oh, wow. That's the aim of the game. A, okay. <laughs> exactly. Comes with something called a trouble, which is the reason that you have the blues. And so your character might be uh, a space alcoholic or, you know, have a uh, problem with being really violent or have a backstory to do with their relationships with crime and criminal enterprise. And there's, if from these uh, troubles, you're kind of generating a, a sort of a background for yourself that's kind of filled in as you play and you get to add like flashback details and say, oh, I've been to this space system before. I used to drink in this bar if you're an alcoholic. So you'll have a move where, you know, if you arrive in a new spaceport, you can be able to say, well, this is the bar I used to drink at here if you've got your uh, buried in the bottle. Um, I think that's what it's called, something like that, um, yeah. ability. And they also allow you to make contacts and just role-play the reasons out that your character is really sad and sometimes create new skills and stuff like that mm -hmm. because it's a game that is very much about more about storytelling than about trying to, like, win, yeah. uh, which yeah. is something that's really important to us as, uh, as some of them. 
Definitely. I mean, this, I mean, and it's it's described as a rules light system, which um, is always great for me because that means it's going to give you a chance to kind of explore characters, explore the world and role play a little bit more, uh, which is why when you asked to come on and we talked about this, I was like, yes, yes, let's definitely talk about that. Um, Sam, you mentioned you pitched this game uh, in a pub and we're like, let's make a game about (laughs) sad uh, space cowboys. And of course, who wouldn't take that pitch? Uh, but what was your inspiration uh, for for making it? Were you yourself a sad in space once, or? Uh, so <laughs> I am a big fan of Cowboy Bebop. Um, my main route into writing um, was was music. Uh, I, I grew up with a very musical background, very wide, varied music taste. But something that's always been like prevalent in my life is like blues country bluegrass americana that kind of stuff uh and i've always used music in my role-playing games always been inspired by music uh when people say like oh is there a piece of writing that got you into writing is a very popular question in, in like writing circles my answer sort of raises a few eyebrows because it's not actually a book it's uh, Jungle Land by Bruce Springsteen uh, is probably like my biggest inspiration for what started me writing that or his uh, song Youngstown. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a line that always sticks with me uh, about smokestacks reaching like the arms of God into the fiery furnaces of hell, talking about a foundry. Uh, and that was something that was really evocative to me like yeah. as a kid. Um, I thought it was like really powerful imagery. And that was like my route into writing. So uh, I've worked on role-playing games, uh, like my own sort of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. spitballing DIY uh, that I only shared with my friends for a long time. And then sort of around 2015, 2016, I was introduced to someone at my local game store who had like an idea for a game. And essentially they just needed someone to to take it over the finish line, to like mm-hmm. edit it, line read it, make it look nice, uh, market it, um, clean it up around the edges, uh, just somewhat like my skill set slotted into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I did that. Uh, that, get, that game became Sins, which is a an award-winning supernatural post-apocalyptic role-playing game. Uh, and I was about to go into my usual convention pitch. Yeah. I haven't done it in years, but I probably could be Manchurian <laughs> candidate to reciting it. Um, <laughs> and and that that did all right. Yeah. Um, obviously, never left behind that sort of like musical influence, but I didn't really get the chance to do that with that. Yeah. Uh, and I had a lot of ideas bubbling up inside of me. I got very burnt out, very despondent, and quite tired of like the gig economy of being a freelance writer. Mm-hmm. I was going through like quite a rough patch in in my life at the time. Uh, and I started writing these ideas down for like a very despondent uh, sort of bluesy game that captured the the loneliness, the the vibe, but the general despondent. I don't want to call it nihilistic, but uh, definitely detached sort of tone that Cowboy Bebop has in some of its less humorous episodes yeah, uh, and also infusing it with like my love of blues and Americana and I had to put that into a into a bite-sized pitch um, and do something with that idea because it was just sort of rattling around my head for a long time uh, and I had worked with Zach quite literally in our day jobs uh, and playing role-playing games together. Mm-hmm. And I know that he was expanding his publishing arm at the time where after Best Left Buried uh, and the success of that. Mm-hmm. And so I said to him, I was like, look, I've got a game for Sad Space Cowboys. It's not a game that I can do with the team that did Sins. They're very trad. And mm-hmm. frankly, I just don't think that they're, right, they're the right minds for it yeah um and i want to do this and i want a sort of outlet for this can you just give me carte carte blanche to go crazy with this i know the right people to work on this so i brought in josh clark who's a good friend of mine to do the art Mm -hmm. Uh, zach found layout and editing uh and also helped with the mechanics because it was based off best left buried Uh, i am actually a bit of a fraud 
to be honest, because um, whilst this is a sci-fi game, I'm uh -huh. very much a fantasy guy. Um, okay. So, and I'm definitely not a mechanics guy, but Zach is. Uh, mm -hmm. Zach, Zach, they're very good at mechanics. Uh, so, I, all the ideas I had for mechanics, I, I, I pitched to Zach, and they morphed them into something that had a good game feel about okay. it. Uh, yeah, and it it just sort of evolved. It took a while to get out because we had a pandemic. Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah. I moved house. Uh, the world sort of collapsed, but yeah. we got there in the end. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, and it exists now. I actually don't have a copy that I can hold up in front of the camera. Um, well, I have an image I can put on the screen right here. It looks just like oh, that. Oh, there you go. That, oh, there we go. Zach's, Zach's got, got it. There you go. Some other bits we do. I'll... I haven't yeah, got yeah. a cassette with me. I, I we do. Sold I have a cassette. The UK Games Expo. You should have so, talked about it in the music. The, the other we pitch. We should talk I about saw. the cassette because the ca cassette is definitely an example of insanity. Um, so I'm I'm really big into cassettes as a thing. Okay. I know the cool thing is to collect vinyl, but I used to collect cassettes because uh, I'm a hipster hipster. It's the 90s uh, kid. And, uh, and I said to Zach when we were doing the Kickstarter, uh, I, was, I was like, I think we should do something like cool that people yeah. remember that nobody's done before. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I remember how the conversation happened. I was watching all the vinyl RPGs that came out in 2019. Yeah. And we, I said, oh, that was really cool. Maybe we should do an Orbital Blues vinyl because that's kind of on vibe. Mm. And then Sam was like, no, it has to be a cassette because yeah. part of the aesthetic of Orbital Blues is that you are basically a space trucker, right? That's mm -hmm. uh, quite a lot of the imagery that we rely on during the game. So we got a friend of ours, Chris Bissett. They are a, a very talented musician and make music for a lot of their games. Uh -huh. And we were like, could you make us an album? We don't really mind what goes on it as long as it fits the, the vibe. vibe. Yeah, because yeah. all the blues covers such a huge range of musical inspirations. And like, mm -hmm. for example, Sam, a lot of your stuff is like Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, some other bits in that kind yeah, of country the, genre. Yeah, the really cool thing is that... Um, me and Zach both have different visions yeah. for Orbital Blues, like mm -hmm. what the universe sounds like, essentially. Um, I have this I'm weird head person, canon that right? talking sure. heads would be really big in mm -hmm. Orbital Blues, and I can't explain why. Uh, it's very sort of... Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, like, mine's bluesy and... Uh, rhythm and like rhythm and blues mm -hmm. sax is more jazz in infused uh and i think that's something that i would really sort of extol to anyone listening is it's a game meant to be played with music mm -hmm. with like real foot stompers and things that you think make for for cool moments i one thing that i i i wrote in uh, and then, then Zach polished up the edges of is that players can do a swan song, which is essentially when you make your character, you pick a signature song for them uh, that okay. sort of encapsulates them. And when a character reaches the the end of their story, you can do a swan song wherein their song plays and they get a, a ton of, of buffs and abilities to really like go out with a meaningful bang mm -hmm. that allows the party to take something from their departure. It's not always yeah. a death. It might just be like a retirement or they mm -hmm. fly off, something like that. But it, it makes for those, it helps you construct those moments that people talk about for months, yeah. if not years, afterwards a role-playing game. And it gives you some mechanical clout mm -hmm. for doing those things it sounds really cinematic yeah. like in a movie it's the moment in the movie where the yeah. hero looks back and they're like i got this go on without me yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's exactly what we're trying to replicate and your characters level up in all the blues where mm -hmm. they get sad enough to have one of those really uh, uh emotional scenes and they have to act out in an emotional way either through a argument with a friend or an act of violence or like a climactic moment and only at that point can you advance and then get a bunch of new abilities. But mm -hmm. like the music was just so important to us during creation. Not only did we have this soundtrack made, but a lot of the art that Josh does is 
to the way that Josh makes the art is that he takes images and then public domain photography normally, mm -hmm. and then kit bashes it into uh, like, and draws over it and smashes them all together and makes something really impressive looking. Sometimes that looks like a sort of dusty baron of a spaceship on the top of it, or mm -hmm. sort of a, a space station that's actually been made out of a lampshade or something. Or you get a NASA imagery of a bunch of neon signs painted over it mm -hmm. uh, because we've pulled those from pictures of roadside stuff in America yeah. and then pushed it on there. But also a lot of the imagery, the art from the book is actually like diegetic in-world art. So there's lots of posters yeah. and they might be like band posters for a gig that's going to happen at the New Haven Spaceport. Oh, cool. Or so adverts or adverts for companies that don't exist that sell spacesuits, right? Uh, where Josh has taken a advert from the 50s where somebody's selling suits yeah. and then kit-bashed onto that character a spacesuit, right? With that same kind of like Mad Men advertising vibes. So, but then what we did is that, because we knew we were going to make a cassette, mm -hmm. we said to Chris, hey, here's the band posters for all the bands that we've made in Orbital Blues why don't you go and make an album for one of these in-universe bands? So nice. Deltas, who are the music group that Chris was cosplaying as when he released, when he made the, when they made the cassette, mm -hmm. um, is actually a band with posters in Orbital Blues and some backstory. And the other character, Holly Astro and the Flyboys, mm -hmm. uh, who has a couple of posters in the, uh, uh, in the book that Josh has done, they appear in the Star Adventure. So you know, there's lots of weird examples where we just really indulged ourselves when making cool references to the music that happens. Yeah. And when we've made new adventures, which we started to publish for all the blues, mm -hmm. we ask the writer, because they're normally the new creative force writing, we've kept Josh mm -hmm. illustrating all of the books, uh, to relate to the music that's important to them and yeah. make that be what happens. So the adventure that, uh, one of our writers, Giuliano Roverato, has done is called, and apologies, I'm going to say this wrong because I'm not Latin American, Chega um, de Saudade, which is a a sort of a type of Brazilian folk music. Okay. Uh, Fado, Fado, I'm not sure. And that's about sad longing and nostalgia. Uh, For and something then that never existed. Existed, exactly. Uh, so that then becomes the hook for the adventure. And mm -hmm. some of the other things we've had written have been based on uh, 1980s pop. And that playlist, we'll put a little bit LY in the book and you can listen to the playlist the writer was listening to as they wrote it. Right? Oh, nice. So, yeah. And if, if you, you look in the right want... place, you can find Sam's playlist. Uh, I've actually just posted that to Jess so she can share it. Yeah, but, should I put it in the main uh, chat? It's a little Spotify yeah, playlist. Sure um, thing. Orbital Blues has a Spotify playlist coming up to 400 followers, I think. And it's, it's my Spotify playlist that I used when when writing the the game. That's what the game sounds like to me. Uh, and that's that's all real music. It's not fictional music that um, yeah. that we that we had made. That that's all uh, a, a massive list of uh, tracks, artists that inspired Orbital Blues and what it sounds like to to me and what I was mm -hmm. listening to when I was when I was writing and making the book with the team. Uh, so yeah. yeah, give give that a follow. Um, it, yeah. and yeah, it's it's got some bangers on there if I do say so myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, that'll be in the show notes there. And if you're watching live, I've just put it in the chat there so you can watch the link there. Uh, that's really good. I was going to ask if there was a Spotify or something because whilst the cassette is very awesome, oh, yeah. I don't know about everyone else watching, but I personally no longer have a cassette player. Because I'm does. not as cool as Sam and Zach. I don't, no, I don't have I don't, a cassette don't player. Have that's a ridiculous. Player. I just look <laughs> at them and go, oh, he's a neat... <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't had one in years, um, yeah. but I also stripped back my cassette collection a couple of years ago because they're mm -hmm. pointless dead media. <laughs> uh, um, it's about but, having that weird art object, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I've, I've, I've paid I, uh, for like one second, seven, eight hundred uh, of them. Not that anyone on the uh, listening to the podcast can see it. I don't even think Zach knows that I have this. But when I left York to live in Nottingham a couple of years ago, uh, Josh, who did the art for All Little Blues, actually made me uh, a cassette 
mix an actual cassette tape uh, essentially um full of songs and recorded it himself or by putting a tape recorder next to a cd player like the, the old the style classic way like you would do that on the radio yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. uh yeah oh, so God. it's um it's got a, a couple of tracks on it's got a side a a side b and that still is uh, it's on my on my cupboard uh, on my shelf of special things. Uh, it's it's very nice. I I love cassettes and I love retro paraphernalia, but not like the things that are typically cool, like vinyls, for example. Instead, I'm into cassettes. <laughs> well, you know, hey, everyone has everyone has things they like. Um, it's really great to to hear that music was such an inspiration to the game, and that you've pushed that out into the game mechanically. Um, you know, with this one song you spoke about, and also that you've made it accessible to the community as well with the the playlist. That's really nice to see for the game. Um, jumping back into the game a little bit, um, I wanted to go kind of through the system in case people aren't uh, familiar with Best Left Buried. Um, so Zach, it's um, a D6 based kind of system and you've got kind of three basic stats with it. Could you talk us through kind of the base mechanics of the game? Yeah, so we've borrowed a lot of the uh, the, the basic mechanics from uh, Best Left Buried, but the way the game works is essentially it's a 2D6 system. You're rolling two dice and adding one of your three stats to the uh, to what you've rolled. You're trying to hit a target number of eight, and you can, to make situations easier and harder, rather than the target number shifting, you might be rolling with advantage, which we call mm -hmm. having the upper hand, or yep. disadvantage, which we call being against the odds. Mm -hmm. And your GM will kind of make the call on that based on the fictional situation, how difficult things are meant to be. Mm -hmm. um, you also have the, I guess the, main thing that might be a bit weird if you're coming from uh, a different RPG is that your ship has its own stats uh, okay. and there's quite a detailed sort of set of rules on how to do a ship combat should they okay. be fighting each other in a way that makes sure all the characters have something cool and narrative to do rather than just the person um, flying the darn thing. Uh, the sort of thing that makes Orbital Blue spaceships a bit weird is that they don't all have guns because you're kind of explicitly not using military ships and they're all civilian ships. Okay. So you might have like some grappling hooks or a mining laser or something like that, but it's unlikely that you're going to have some like big torpedo launcher kind of thing that you might experience in other sort of space dogfighting mm -hmm. media. Um, mm. But a lot of the stuff that we did for the system is about um, – and the main difference from Best Left Buried is, all, is the stuff I was talking about earlier to do mm -hmm. with – uh, the swan songs and the troubles brewing and your troubles uh, and the point that, yeah, you do get experience and level up by your character being really sad uh, and you're sort of answering these prompts that come as part of your character sheet. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, your character will sort of probably get even more sad as things go on, as they start to pick up new troubles from things going wrong Life in space. to you. Um, and you end up sort of becoming more world weary and jaded as as the adventures go yeah. on, but that in turn makes you more inured to the to the hardships of the galaxy. Um, it, it was very much inspired by the fact that writing was making me miserable, but when I was miserable, I was doing my best writing, and I thought. Actually, this is a strength, and I should mm -hmm. turn this into something that you know can can be of use somewhere. And so, I I think we put I, I pitched it to Zach, or he summarized, uh, or they summarized it as sad for XP was yeah. was what what we ended sad up calling it. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was <laughs> what the draft notes were on the on the Google Drive for for a long time. We're just brackets sad for XP. Gold, uh, gold for XP is for cowards. Sad for yeah, XP sad is for, really sad for XP. Not to trivialize that sort of thing. No, uh, of I I yeah. suffer with mental health issues out mm -hmm. out of the wazoo. Um, but it was a way for me to sort of tackle that and I guess come to terms with it and mm -hmm. and make something of it of of value. Uh, Zach really helped to sort of. No, I don't want to say gamify it because I think gamifying something tends to have like you know it makes it makes things sound trivial sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, but definitely uh, sort of mechanized it yeah. essentially yeah. in a way that could be tracked rather than yeah. just ah uh, 
my wife died, so I start at level two, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's not like that. It's more, oh, our crew have been through some through, through some stuff. Uh, and now I always need a smoke before a gunfight. But mm-hmm. in turn, you know, I have I have a much steadier aim and I'm a I'm a dead shot. Yeah. There is a, a real emphasis in all the blues that and I tried to take this from other games as well. What I mm-hmm. always said for playing Best Left Buried is that it's a horror game and it's mm-hmm. really hard to be scared when you're doing maths and you're thinking about rules. Yes. So the game is not a rules-based experience. It is a vibes-based experience. Mm-hmm. And what little rules we have are helping to abstract out some situations so you can run something like a combat or a skill check quickly and cleanly and get out of the way so we can focus on those vibes vibes of that experience because it's and it's about telling these beautiful stories and at the end of the day i think sam will agree with this Mm -hmm. the game is about our experiences under capitalism as people in a gig economy with mental health problems you know and that is what orbital blues is about and it's about our reflections of our experiences in those kind of situations obviously we're not in space we don't do crime but you know writing role-playing games is a is a is a (laughs) being artist generally yeah to to use a big word for what I do which is mainly logistics and publishing when Mm -hmm. somebody doesn't ask me to help them with a role-playing game like Sam was so helpful to do Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah it's about our relationship with those things and it sounds like a bit of a bleak story but it can Mm -hmm be something incredibly beautiful and satisfying. And um, what we're trying to do is write a game where the game gets out the way as much as possible and lets you tell a thematic and really beautiful story. Yeah. 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 Zach's definitely hit the, hit the nail on the head there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about sort of, I I can't think of a better word than drudgery uh, is, is something that, that keeps coming back to to my mind is one thing like as i said previously the main thing that inspired me was just trying to get by in a gig economy um, and especially over the like the last six years in britain where everything's just kind of got worse (laughs) yeah uh yeah um and like you know i i was helping to run my own company that doesn't I don't do that anymore because I I just couldn't. It just was no longer feasible. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know my mental health wasn't doing doing great. Uh and I wanted to put that into something like a like an outlet in in some way. And the thing that I was am good at is is role playing games. So mm-hmm. I took my love of music, uh my experience with mental health problems, poverty, uh etc. And just blended them all up into this big cowboy bebop-ish soup. Uh, Delicious. And yeah, presented it to to Zach and said, "You wanna you wanna sell this?" And they said, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, looks good." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what? So we're when we're, we're telling the yeah the main thing about the game is telling these these stories, and it sounds like the characters and what they experience and go through in their moments is kind of the the central thing in this so what what goes into creating a character uh for the game um zach i don't know if you want to talk about how you approach um, kind of making a character for yeah for so stories. the bits of the game that we wrote were split into a very clear section based on if it was rules based or vibes based okay, sam did all yeah. the vibes and i did all the rules so mm-hmm. the first thing that happens is you pick a name uh, your orbital blues characters tend to just have one name and it sounds like a surname so um you know I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but it's the same way that all the characters in Five in Bebop and Firefly tend to refer to each other. Yeah, by like a pseudonym. I think, a pseudonym. It, yeah. if I recall, um, I, I wrote about how uh, you go by something like it could be a moniker, a pseudonym, it mm-hmm. could be your surname, it could just become what you've become known by. But and maybe you have more than one name, but just to ease into things for for the ease of role playing, um, is it's just it's just one name, uh, and you also have a title um, as well. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite parts of the book, mm-hmm. uh, and essentially it's uh, a big 
a, a big list of just like uh, titles for yourself that you would be known by in a sort of heist movie sort of way. Uh, the the thing that inspired that uh, was, I think, uh, Run the Jewels Four had just come out. Uh, Yankee and the Brave uh, and I was like listening to that whilst writing and I was like oh yeah, monikers are cool uh, so that went in there and uh, Zach was like, should we put it in a table? Um, and I was like, no, just spill it all over the page and people can just see what jumps out at them and put everything in a different font nice. because then you can like really envision it in your in your mind in a sort of like I hate to use this as an example and maybe I'm the only person who's ever used this but like Guy Ritchie's Rock and Roller um which is a an, a terrible film <laughs> um but it had a very sort of like punchy visual style um which I don't think was new um, for even for the time, but it definitely had one, and you know you could sort of really imagine in a in a visual sense mm-hmm. a character being introduced and it freeze framing with their name and then you know the driver underneath it or the muscle that kind of thing and they go hand in hand and that shapes your character's identity which yeah. you then sort of develop into stats handing over back to. Is that? Yeah. So you, you pick some brilliant stuff like that. There's a couple of stats we have um, muscle, grit, and savvy. Um, those are then followed by picking what is called a gambit, which is just like a short one line ability that says something about what your character does on the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Right? They might be a mechanic, or a hustler, or a gunfighter, or just, you know, a, a whole selection of lists like that. Mm-hmm. And then you also pick one of the 18 troubles I was talking about earlier, which is mm-hmm. the reason that you are a particularly sad space character. Yeah. Uh, you grab a couple of extra bits like that, like a, a a couple of weapons and maybe some bits of like sci-fi-based equipment that are going to help your characters out by doing crime. Mm-hmm. Sarah, a big list of weird scanners and spaceship bits and there's some rules about building your own weapon as well by mm-hmm. being tagged and stuff like that. So you have a gun that feels oh, you have a me- special you have to you. a memento as well. Um, yeah, which is another thing that just has no useful rules application. Uh, that was a that was a vibe thing, and it was uh, it was just a, a big list of things that are evocative for for story or backstory mm-hmm. in a sort of why does your character have this kind of way. And I think next to none of them would have any kind of mechanical benefit at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all really interesting, unique, and storied things that would immediately become a sort of, ooh, what's that about your character when, when the players either meet or they explain their characters to to one another at the table. Uh, and, yeah, it's we wanted to infuse the character creation with something where you made your character and you were excited to play it and explore them alongside the rest of the crew. That's awesome. I mean, one of the people in the chat uh, who plays the game has said that uh, one of their players has the coat he would die for as his memento. And as you can imagine, that will affect how a game is run if somebody's wearing a coat that... Yeah, see, already, I, I I want to know more about that right now. Like, that, I know that's not one that's in the book, um, and that's just one that someone's made up. That's really awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to know more about that, like, already. If I was in that group, I'd be like, why? Why this coat? And what? Apparently, oh, just had a response saying, much discussion about the coat. So it might take up the rest of our podcast time if we do discuss the coat, but that's really cool. Uh, yeah. That's awesome to hear. And the final thing that happens in character generation is mm-hmm. you also build a ship for you as well that has uh, you sort of make up a backstory for your just beloved, um, you know, junky rubbish ship because it is not nice. And we made the rules for the game that involve money basically create the situation that you are always going to be just struggling enough to pay your debts and fix the spaceship. Uh, and if you don't have a spaceship, you basically can't play the game because you're stuck on one planet. Okay. So now you've got to be like, how do we get a ship or how do we fix our ship or refuel our ship? We're probably going to need to take a job to do that. And then you do the job and you'll inevitably incur costs whilst doing the job. Someone will get shot. You'll run out of ammunition. 
you'll expend fuel driving uh, like a sort of ground-based vehicle from A to B. Uh, you end up having to pay off crooked cops, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it just maintains this cycle, which on one hand makes for fun, wacky, oh no, we've got no money kind of thing on a week-by-week, week, uh, you know, problem-of-the-week sort of basis. But also from from like my personal perspective was also like you know it, it's like terry pratchett's boot theory which was something yes. i was discussing on the on the discord um mm -hmm. about you know being poor is expensive yeah. um and you know always fixing things and always buying poor poorer quality stuff to get mm -hmm. something done just ends up incurring further sort of uh, uh, debt essentially and that was something that I wanted to to capture in the game and again it was it was an idea that I pitched to Zach and was like poor like poverty and characters always keeping yeah. their head just above water but as a mechanical gauge that is mm -hmm. always sort of trying to be balanced but is always leaning more to one mm -hmm. to one side of being behind by virtue of the the player's character's actions. And the only real chance that you ever have of tipping it the other way is if things ever go right. But obviously the fallacy of role-playing game groups is that nothing ever goes to plan. So just by merit of playing yeah. the game, you end up creating the impetus for the next session yeah. of, oh, we've got to find this bounty oh, he's an ace pilot, we'll have to engage him in a dogfight. We do that. Our ship just got wrecked. We need to pay an engineer to fix it, but she's charging a lot. We've got the bounty, but all the money's going to this engineer, and we've ended up back just back at zero, net well, zero, yeah. and our ship doesn't work, so let's find something to do on in, this in planet. A, in our early playtests... Mm -hmm. We uh, we played the game quite a bit before it came out, and there was also sure. an open playtest edition that happened that was about six months before the game went on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. We used to have actual money in it, and then people got paid and were like, okay, well, what are we doing now? We can afford to retire. And I'm like, no, this is not that game. Yeah. So the new system we wrote was basically, you know, you rack up how many things would have gotten you some money, but how many things also happened during the session that are going to cost you uh, money and mm -hmm. damage and using your spaceship are things on that list as well as mm -hmm. just travel medical between bills. planets yeah, is, is on that list the price i don't appeal. think this is a galaxy with universal health care uh, no it is not it doesn't sound that way it doesn't no. it doesn't have that vibe um, and so if you're um if you manage to like make ends meet you can do one little nice thing with your the money you made that session that might be like definitely fix the ship or get a new gun but if you don't, you're going to have to start like borrowing money from people, letting your spaceship just not be fixed for a while, which is something mm. that was always happening in, uh, you know, in the kind of shows we were looking at. Yeah. And it basically means that your character is you, the spaceship is basically the the extra character, the first and most important character in all the adventures. Um, and the you know it's, it's going to have a name, and that's basically the name the whole campaign is going to be based around. And we wrote. I cannot exaggerate. We wrote literally hundreds of spaceship names, and yeah. only the best one hundred actually made it into the book. I, I think the, the yeah, I um, I, I sat. Uh, I think it was like midsummer, and I sat in a park, and I just had my phone on me, and I just went through so many records and playlists, and wrote down songs and albums uh books or figures that i thought would make for for cool ship names because i wanted the ships to feel like characters mm -hmm. one thing that i really loved uh was fantasy flights rogue trader where mm -hmm. you generate a ship uh and it is huge um what you do with that you make uh, a ship to house your crew obviously in the warhammer 40k universe where rogue traders set ships are colossal and you can have like cults living in the vents or uh <laughs> your, your ship is possessed by a malicious machine spirit that does not like the captain uh and i loved that the you once you'd rolled up the the ship was as much a part of the 
the party as any one of your players were. Yeah. And in Cowboy Bebop, the name of the show comes from their ship, the mm-hmm. Bebop. Uh, also the same for Firefly. Firefly. I'm going to let you in on another little secret in that I actually, despite writing this game, do not like Firefly. <gasps> um, I or Joss Whedon. <laughs> and people are like, oh boy, this is just like Firefly. And I'm like, yeah, sh- sure. I-, I don't know. I've not- I made it like halfway through an episode and Nathan Fillion, just something about him just grinds my gears. And I was like, okay, yeah, if you if you love Firefly, then uh, then sure. Yeah, it's, it's like Firefly. Yeah. I, um, but my I, frame of reference for yeah. it was very much like Bebop, uh, mm-hmm. Western films, um, you know, the writing of like Jim Harrison or like mm-hmm. all the pulpy American Americana. Oh, yeah. people in the chat saying, I knew there was something off about you. Yeah, the yes, chat does I, not like your hate for Firefly. I, I'm sorry. I'm a fraud. Um, I, I apologize to everyone. Um, <laughs> I had made it halfway through an episode of Firefly and I was like, this, this stinks of Joss Whedon. No, I cannot. Uh, so you, you've also like, said that like, Tarantino and stuff like that, and uh, bits of was it Larry Elmore and yeah, also Guy yeah. Ritchie so, like, and stuff like that. Also to feel that, into like, the sort of like grindhouse kind of thing, and I, I welcome that criminal. comparison, albeit not the comparison to Quentin Tarantino. People said in college I used to look like him, um, which was like really. Yeah. Um, I was like, what? Um, I, I didn't see yeah. it. Maybe my face has changed, but um, yeah, I, I think that like there's merit to be taken in being able to create those touchstones with people. Of mm-hmm. oh, is it like X? Yeah. And I always say to people whenever they pitch me games or tell me about things that they're working on, whether they're you know established industry titans or they're just someone I know who's just noodling with something. Mm-hmm. I'm always just kind of like, not to cut you off, but can you give me an elevator pitch? What is it like? Like, yeah. is it X meets Y? Is it inspired by Z kind of thing? And I sort of, you know, when I do conventions, I just sort of like, hey, what's the sort of games that you're into? What other kind of media are you into? And from there, you can sort of be like, oh, this is like X. This is like Y. Yeah. Um, and Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, they're like big pieces of media that any one of those three you can relate to you can use one of them to relate to someone who's into tabletop role-playing games definitely um, yeah all but blues can can do all three of them there are no aliens and as far as the guardians of the galaxy aspect goes mm-hmm. um this was like a huge point of contention no no contention but like discussion during the game's writing i wanted aliens and sam did and sam said no yeah. why did you say no aliens uh, but I felt like if we opened up aliens as a thing mm. in the setting, they would either be recolored people, um, uh, as is the case in like Star Trek, yeah, um, or they would be like super weird. Um, and yeah. ultimately, it came down to a case of we're telling people's stories, whether they're mm-hmm. blue people, red people, whatever. We're telling people's stories. But we also don't have a lot of room to work with in terms of law or world building. Mm-hmm. We want evocation. We want tone. We want a sort of, I don't know, a, a whiff of like, or a, a fragrance of a world that you can go, oh, yeah, I sort of like get that. Yeah. If you, I felt like if you introduced aliens, you'd have to explain like alien law. Yeah. yeah where yeah. Did these aliens fit in? What was first contact? You open. You open a door that I think not a lot of people realize how deep the room mm. beyond that door has to yeah. go to make it feel authentic. Like if you look at D and D races, all of them have law pertaining to how they came about, how they interact mm-hmm. with each other. And some people love that. Like I love games that have like really deep law. Um, but we wanted something. Where- is not that game. Right yeah, now. I was about there to say, it's and I don't not, make yeah. games like that despite loving them. I, um, <laughs> I, I can't. I think I'd become like some Alan Moore-looking dude with a huge beard, long hair that just shuts himself away and writes all day and never appears to the public. But um, <laughs> I, I, I wanted it to be sort of like evocative, and mm-hmm. essentially it came down to just drawing a line under it. And I, do, I don't think it made the cut in the end, but there was going to be a sidebar that said, if you want to include aliens, go ahead. 
it's, it's a, I think it's in there. I, I remember yeah, reading that. It's not in yeah. them because they're not the stories we're interested in telling. I yeah. think you can. You know, yeah, totally. um, oh, yeah, sure. I, I think you absolutely can. And if you want to, you know, introduce sort of like Star Trek style, uh, these guys are, they're, ju they're just like people, but they have tentacle beards and are pink, then cool. go for it. That's, that's, that's dope. Yeah. Um, I, I like we... the fact it's just uh, people as well, because it, it echoes back to that feeling of it being like a lonely universe. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, because I, I think we all, well, I certainly am a nerd, would like the idea that there's other things out there. But if you go out and there's just nothing, it's just more awful capitalist people. It's that just feels more sad cowboy, yeah. you know. Um, what's out there? You know, so you've got your sad space cowboys looking out from a moon being like, what's out there? Yeah. Oh, planets with rocks and minerals and beautiful vistas on them. Yeah. Um, and they'll get exploited by capitalism. They'll get turned into strip mines yeah. and, you know, sort of people will be made miserable there um, <laughs> through, through work and turmoil. Yeah. There won't be some funky telepath alien that will dismantle capitalism for you yeah. um, we, out there. We spent all of our word count on a vibes-based storytelling rather than law-based storytelling. There is yeah. no information in the book about, like, what the central galactic government is or you know how the systems of fiscal and politics work mm -hmm. all we know is that hyper capitalism is a thing technology follows rules that we've set out that are basically it's going to be mass produced it's not going to work and it's going to be kind of funky and retro looking and sort of it's the kind of thing you can the, it, the spaceships and orbital blues are the kind of thing that I've not bothered saying how the FTL engine works, but I know that if you hit it three times on the side of a hammer, it's going to work, right? Brilliant. Uh, that's the energy. And we, there is an adventure included in the core book, and we're working on more of them, but mm -hmm. I have no plans to bring them together into cohesive narrative because I like the idea of everybody's playing an orbital blues game in their own little corner of a really big universe that kind of – doesn't care. The, yeah, the, the, the universe yeah. doesn't care. care very much that you exist, but the universe and the, the systems of control and government, you know, and that's what I found so magnetic about. And there is law in places that you can mm. kind of catch bits of a narrative coming together. There are certain yeah. companies that we reference throughout several adventures. So mm. there definitely is a universe, a combined universe out there, but each of it's the same thing with the music because I know that Josh has. His own music he listens to while working on all the blues is different to what we do as the two creators, mm -hmm. two, so as the three co-creators. We all have different ideas of what the law is, and we all have different ideas of what the technology is, and yeah. we all have different ideas about what the music is. Mm -hmm. And it means that whenever we do something, as long as it doesn't break the internal laws yeah. of our universe, where yeah, of I think the you know, tenets are it's mass produced. It probably doesn't work very well. Uh, uh, you've got one. Everyone's got one. It might not even be real, as far as even if it is mass produced. Uh, it looks kind of old. It's probably beige. Uh, it's got analog components. Keyboards click. Screens are tinged with some kind of color. Uh, and yeah, it, it, and people still use perception. Yeah, all of there's your a big rounded label on it somewhere as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's that kind of thing. Uh, I remember distinctly. I think there was a whole afternoon taken up where Josh had uh, done a picture of some cargo ships, and we spoke about what the thrusters should look like. And we were like, it shouldn't be too high techy. And mm -hmm. I feel like if people see blue thrusters, uh, they think like high sci-fi. Uh, yeah. Let's do let's do red. Something that looks like it'd be like smoggy and smoky, and looks like it stinks of uh, sort of gasoline uh, rather than something clean. Uh, this is this is definitely not like th this is not a green version of space exploration this is dirty and it costs lots of space dollars and <laughs> exploited a lot of workers and everyone involved is kind of the spectacle of exploring space has been lost to the drudgery of oh my job is being uh, an ore miner for rocket fuels uh, and rare, rare metals kind of thing it, it's just uh, kind of 
it's a really uh, bummed out universe where, as I mentioned earlier, the only thing out there is is more planets for people to be miserable on in different ways rather than an alien will be there and, I don't know, do something cool for you. Uh, it, it's not it's not that it's not even that hopeful <laughs> well that's a lovely uh bleak note i think to to sell the game on for orbital blues uh so if you're interested if we've convinced you that you also want to be a sad cowboy uh you can of course pick that up on the soul muppet store uh so that's soul muppet-store.co.uk uh and also on drive through rpg if you search for orbital blues and i've got the link on the screen there and i'll also put it in the chat if you would like to have a link look on there uh because the best way to support indie tabletop rpg creators is to buy their stuff uh so that should be the thing to do um if you have any other questions uh because we're running up to the end of the hour here i'm sure you can get in touch uh with the um soul muppet team where's the best place to get in touch with you folks if people have questions so if you go to the store there is a discord server that we are all on all the time excellent that's the best way to get us uh, i am on uh, most places as the jelly muppet which is the name i well it's the muppet from where saw muppet comes from and it's kind of me okay uh, sam what's your what's the best place to find you uh i can be added in the uh the soul muppet discord under the orbital blue sections or you can follow me on twitter at sam Sleeney, just all all one word um because it's a unique surname and it's never taken so i just go by <laughs> i just go by that everywhere uh type that in you'll probably find me or my estranged father don't engage with him Okay, well, good to know, good to know. We'll just use that handle that we put there. And if you're listening to the podcast, they'll all be in the show notes, those links there. Um, So the question I'll do before we move on um, is I'll ask to Sam and Zach, are, are there any questions you wish I'd asked you or anything you want to say about Orbital Blues that you didn't get the chance to? Uh, ooh. Or if we covered it? Nah. I think we I think we've covered it. We've, okay. like, we've talked about how we make characters, the kind of vibes we were looking for. Is this oh? Is this game good for people who usually play D anD D and are maybe looking to branch out? Mm-hmm. My answer is yes. Uh, yeah. Rather than your fantasy fair, this is sci fi, but it's really accessible sci fi. Uh, I I myself have found that a lot of sci fi games are like really clunky, very mechanical based, mm. very sort of uh, very tabley, very numbers centric. And if you want that sort of like more character drama focus, there is a one shot or his campaign says near put peanut. Um, my answer would be it can work as both the adventure in the book uh, that, that I wrote is meant to be a sandbox. And so you can take one location from that and run it as a one shot or all of the locations are webbed together into like this big narrative web of intrigue where one NPC in one place might be the person that someone in another place is looking for, or the unassuming suitcase that you find in the hotel room in one place is actually chock full of money that per, uh, someone at another location wants. Um, that is very good for one shots or starting off long-term campaigns. Uh, The game shines in terms of character drama with campaigns and shines in terms of its ease of access and mechanical lightness in one shots. So yeah, either. Yeah, either's fine. We do have another adventure that you can grab on the Soul Muppet store called 160 Acres, which is Mm -hmm. literally just based on the Marty Robbins song. It's a one-shot pamphlet, and that is everything you need to run your session. And that's what I'd go to if you were looking to put a little one-shot together. That's one that me and a couple of my pals wrote a few weeks ago. Uh, But, yeah, you'll get the full experience if you play in a long-term campaign because you'll get a bunch of those uh, character mechanics that Mm -hmm. we were talking about for long-term progression and slowly running out of money and being in debt. Uh, But you'll still have a great time playing it as a one-shot. You just won't get to see all of those long-term character creation rules. but that might be quite helpful. You're just trying to run a short session. It allows the complexity to be built into the game over time. Uh, so yeah, it works for either. Um, awesome. I don't think I had any questions. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to ask Jess, but I would say no, that we are working constantly on 
more things at Soul Muppet, both Orbital Blues and also our other game, Best Death Buried, and lots of other things. Mm-hmm. So there's the main thing that I work on as well as working with, working, writing my own games is our store, which has like nearly a hundred different books on it now that you can buy. Uh, we mm-hmm. have a UK web store where most of our stock is, but we do shipping across the world. And uh, we have a special US warehouse with discounts uh, on shipping so you can get it nice and cheap. You don't have to worry about us. Brits being on the wrong side of the channel and you not being able to pick your stuff up <laughs> cheap if you are in the States. Uh, and yeah, a lot of our work there goes into focusing on uh, giving access to print and market to creators who might not have it otherwise. So you'll see a lot of indie games that you can buy at us and from, from us on our store and aren't mm-hmm. available in many other places. So it's a good place to look if you're interested in finding out more about role playing. Excellent. Uh, I'll be certainly be chatting to you, Zach, as well, to get some of those other indie creators on here so we can talk about their games on Not D&D. Um, someone asked in the comments, uh, will this be, we'll be making this into a podcast so you can listen to it. Uh, later on for sure um but we are coming up to the end of the hour so i'm gonna say thank you very much for giving us your time sam and zach thank you so much for sharing your game with us thank you i've really enjoyed that. No, it's had a great one fantastic and- oh I, there was one thing which didn't come up okay because uh my camera angle was wrong but if we'd been asked about what we're working on in the future. I left a clue in the background. And if anyone can identify that very low res book uh, by my bedside, they'll have an idea in regards to what it is. I think think your name's covering it up. Is it? Oh, Hang on. If I do it like, maybe if I spotlight you there. Oh, spotlight me. Yeah. If anyone can recognize that penguin classic in the background, or the cover of it, even though it's partially obscured by my lamp, um, that was going to be my little. Sam, sort stop of... announcing games. I haven't. I'm not announcing games, Zach. That's the thing. I'm not announcing games. <laughs> I am teasing <laughs> games in the background. Do you know what, Zach? I'm gonna. I'm gonna end the stream before Sam announces something for you that you don't want him to. Okay? Before I end up committing, Zach. <laughs> I'm gonna end the game. stream. So thank you so much for coming on, and to everyone watching, thank you so much. This will be available. Um, as a podcast as well if you go look at not dnd uh wherever you listen to podcasts there uh but that's all for this week uh next week uh we have another guest on we are uh, we're getting paranoid next week with paranoia uh so uh we're talking specifically about the upcoming paranoia perfect edition um so if you're interested in that if you come along here we'll be live streaming every monday at 10 p.m bst or you can catch up with the podcast whenever you like uh so that's all for this week thank you very much and goodbye Bye. Thanks for coming. Bye.